0: Section 34 of The Book of Sir Marco Polo, the Venetian, Concerning the Kingdoms and Marvels of the East, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anna Simon. The Book of Sir Marco Polo, the Venetian, Concerning the Kingdoms and Marvels of the East, Volume 1, by Rusticello da Pisa. Translated by Henry Yule. Book Second Part One, Chapters Five to Seven, Chapter Five. How the Great Khan caused Nayan to be put to death, and when the Great Khan learned that Nayan was taken, right glad was he, and commanded that he should be put to death straightway and in secret, lest endeavours should be made to obtain pity and pardon for him, because he was of the Khan's own flesh and blood, and this was the way in which he was put to death. He was wrapped in a carpet, and tossed to and fro so mercilessly that he died. And the Khan caused him to be put to death in this way, because he would not have the blood of his line imperial spilt upon the ground, or exposed in the eye of heaven and before the sun. And when the great Khan had gained this battle, as you have heard, all the barons and people of Nayan's provinces renewed their fealty to the Khan. Now these provinces that had been under the lordship of Nayan were four in number, to wit, the first called Jorja, the second Kauli, the third Bariskol, the fourth Sikatingu. Of all these four great provinces had Nayan been lord, it was a very great dominion. And after the great Khan had conquered Nayan, as you have heard, It came to pass that the different kinds of people who were present, Saracens and idolaters and Jews and many others that believed not in God, did gibe those that were Christians because of the cross that Nayan had borne on his standard, and that so grievously that there was no bearing it. Thus they would say to the Christians, See now what precious help this God's cross of yours hath rendered Nayan, who was a Christian and a worshipper thereof. And such a din arose about the matter that it reached the great Khan's own ears. When it did so, he sharply rebuked those who cast these gibes at the Christians, and he also bade the Christians be of good heart, for if the cross had rendered no help to Nayan, in that it had done right well, nor could that which was good as it was have done otherwise, for Nayan was a disloyal and traitorous rebel against his lord, and well deserved that which had befallen him. Wherefore the cross of your God did well in that it gave him no help against the right. And this he said so loud that everybody heard him. The Christians then replied to the great Khan, Great King, you say the truth indeed, for our cross can render no one help in wrongdoing, and therefore it was that it aided not Nayan, who was guilty of crime and disloyalty, for it would take no part in his evil deeds, and so thenceforward no more was heard of the floutings of the unbelievers against the Christians, for they heard very well what the sovereign said to the latter about the cross on Nayan's banner and its giving him no help. Chapter six: How the Great Khan went back to the city of Cambaluc. And after the Great Khan had defeated Nayan in the way you have heard he went back to his capital city of Kambaluk and abode there, taking his ease and making facivity. And the other Tartar lord, called Kaidu, was greatly troubled when he heard of the defeat and death of Nayan, and held himself in readiness for war. But he stood greatly in fear of being handled as Nayan had been. I told you that the great Khan never went on a campaign but once, and it was on this occasion. In all other cases of need, he sent his sons or his barons into the field. But this time he would have none go in command but himself, for he regarded the presumptuous rebellion of Nayan as far too serious and perilous an affair to be otherwise dealt with. Chapter 7. How the Khan rewarded the valor of his captains. So we will have done with this matter of Nayan and go on with our account of the great state of the great Khan, "'We have already told you of his lineage and of his age, but now I must tell you what he did after his return, in regard to those barons who had behaved well in the battle. Him who was before captain of one hundred, he made captain of one thousand, and him who was captain of one thousand men, he made to be captain of ten thousand, advancing every man according to his deserts and to his previous rank.' Besides that, he also made them presents of fine silver plate and other rich appointments, gave them tablets of authority of a higher degree than they held before, and bestowed upon them fine jewels of gold and silver, and pearls and precious stones, insomuch that the amount that fell to each of them was something astonishing. And yet, twas not so much as they had deserved, For never were men seen who did such feats of arms for the love and honour of their lord as these had done on that day of the battle. Now those tablets of authority of which I have spoken are ordered in this way. The officer who is a captain of one hundred hath a tablet of silver. The captain of one thousand hath a tablet of gold or silver gilt. The commander of ten thousand hath a tablet of gold with a lion's head on it and i will tell you the weight of the different tablets and what they denote the tablets of the captains one hundred and one thousand weigh each of them one hundred and twenty sagi and the tablet with the lion's head engraved on it which is that of the commander of ten thousand weighs two hundred and twenty sagi and on each of the tablets is inscribed a device which runs by the strength of the great god and of the great grace which he hath accorded to our emperor may the name of the Khan be blessed and let all such as will not obey him be slain and be destroyed. And I will tell you, besides, that all who hold these tablets likewise receive warrants in writing, declaring all their powers and privileges. I should mention, too, that an officer who holds the chief command of one hundred thousand men, or who is general-in-chief of a great host, is entitled to a tablet that weighs three hundred sagi. It has an inscription thereon to the same purport that I have told you already, and below the inscription there is the figure of a lion, and below the lion the sun and moon, they have warrants also of their high rank, command, and power. Every one, moreover, who holds a tablet of this exalted degree is entitled, whenever he goes abroad, to have a little golden canopy, such as is called an umbrella, carried on a spear over his head in token of his high command, and whenever he sits, he sits in a silver chair. To certain very great lords, also, there is given a tablet with falcons on it. This is only to the very greatest of the khan's barons, and it confers on them his own full power and authority, so that if one of those chiefs wishes to send a messenger any whither, he can seize the horses of any man, be he even a king, and any other chattels, at his pleasure." End of section 34